0: scary story podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week like dead of night the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation or another recent one the delivery where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory my name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast.
1: Hi, Oddings. This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. Your school years can be a very stressful time. On top of doing well in your classes, there's the added pressures of making meaningful friendships. So when you throw paranormal activity into the mix, it only makes things worse. Today's stories are all about the bizarre things that can happen at school and the unsettling things that you may learn about yourself. First, we'll participate in an unplanned lockdown drill in Australia. Then, we'll watch a group of friends fall apart over the years. After that, we'll figure out why a history high school teacher hates one of her students, and finally, learn about the history of a house that a college student is renting. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com and if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content consider joining our patreon our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week and as a member you get private live streams with me special behind the scenes content and a chance at a personal response from me about your scary story and some of these stories have made it into a video or podcast for more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com/snarled. So, want to hear something scary? The gin. Yeah. The following is based on a true story submitted by Rama in Australia. Back when I was still in the eighth grade, I witnessed one of the worst things in my life. Before class, my best friend Sarah would meet me at my locker and we'd gossip and chat until first period, which we had together. And I remember this particular morning, she came up to my locker like usual, but she didn't seem like herself. I asked her if something was bothering her, but she didn't say much. She just sorta stared. I told her that if she wasn't feeling well, she should probably go home. Then the bell rang, and I began walking towards the direction of our first class, but she didn't follow me. I didn't want to be late, so I left without her. When I got to class, I told my teacher, Mr. Tamer, that Sarah wasn't feeling well and should probably go home. Sarah was his daughter. He thanked me for telling him, and just as he was about to leave the room to check on her, a booming voice came on the school intercom. Code black, I repeat, code black. We were used to lockdown drills. We had them throughout the school year, so everyone just thought it was one of those drills. And so Mr. Tamir locked our doors and we all sat quietly in our seats. But all I could think about was Sarah. I hoped it really was just a drill and that she wasn't alone out there, in danger. Then the voice crackled again through the speakers. All of the religion teachers, please come to the office immediately. Mr. Tamir was one of them, and so he left without a word. In all of our previous drills, they'd never asked for the religious teachers before. I remember thinking it was very curious. About an hour had passed before the lockdown ended. It was definitely one of the longest ones we had. The voice on the intercom told us we were safe to move to our next period. We were all so tense and curious to find out what was going on. I remember leaving my classroom and seeing the other students pointing towards the windows. I followed their gestures and saw strange red smears on the glass. They almost looked like handprints, like someone was banging on the windows. But it didn't make sense. How could there be blood stains on every upstairs window in the building? It was so odd. The next day at school, Sarah wasn't there. I figured she probably still didn't feel well and was staying home to rest. But when I went to first period, we had a substitute teacher. Mr. Tamir didn't show up to school either. I decided that I was going to play hooky and check in on my friend. I snuck off campus and headed towards Sarah's house. When I got to the door, I rang the bell, but nobody answered. There were cars in the driveway, so I knew people were home. I rang again, still nothing. I knew Sarah's bedroom was on the ground level to the left, so I decided to go up to her window to see if I could get her attention. As I approached the window, I heard lots of shouting and loud noises. I pressed my face to the glass and saw Sarah kicking and screaming as her father shook her by the neck. I gasped loudly, and he turned his head towards me. I ran around the house and through the front door. When I opened Sarah's bedroom door, she was no longer in her father's grasp. She was on the bed, motionless. Her father was crying over her body. I knelt down next to him and cried with him. He explained that one of the teachers had found Sarah banging her head on the windows at school and smearing the blood with her hands. Sarah said she had to because the gin inside of her wanted to eat her blood. When the teacher tried to help her, she saw the blank, empty look in Sarah's eyes and she knew she was far gone. I have been up all night and day praying and trying to save her, but I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't supposed to go this far. This wasn't supposed to happen. Mr. Tamer continued through his tears. But at least now, at least now she is at peace.
2: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
1: And now, more Something Scary. This next story comes from Pat. It takes place when they were at school in fifth grade. Me and my friends, Alicia, Kim, and Paula, were playing badminton in P.E. class. Kim and Paula got tired and wanted to drink water, so we asked permission from our teacher to go to the fountain, which was on the first floor, and she said yes. We began to walk downstairs and when we reached the second floor, Kim and Paula stopped. Hey guys, Kim said. We'll be back in a minute. We just need to get our bottles from the classroom. So they went up to the third floor and Alicia and I were left waiting on the second floor for them to come back. While waiting for our friends, Alicia and I began chatting about badminton and other sports that we enjoyed playing. A considerable amount of time had passed. I checked my watch. Kim and Paula should have been back by now. What's taking them so long? Alicia asked. Should we go up and fetch them? P.E. class is going to end any minute now. We need to head back soon. Yeah, let's go grab them, I replied. And so we went up one floor to our classroom. But when we opened the door, the lights were off. Did they go back to the gym? Maybe they're looking for us, Alicia told me. We were about to leave... When we heard laughter, we walked into the room and saw Kim and Paula sitting on the floor, rolling on the ground, laughing. What are you guys doing? I shouted at them. We thought you were just going to come up and get your bottles. What are you doing on the floor? Well, maybe if you didn't do that funny thing on the stairs, we wouldn't be laughing so hard, Kim replied, her face scrunched up in a cheery smile. Funny thing? I asked. What are you even talking about? (laughs) It was just a few minutes ago. You were looking at us outside while we were on our way to go back, and Alicia did this funny face while taking her headband off, and she smelled it, and then both of you walked away and went downstairs. We were waiting for you downstairs the whole time, I interrupted. Oh, Kim said in a very confused tone. Well, if it wasn't you... Hey, quit it, Alicia snapped at both of them. Stop making up stories to scare us. Why would we lie about something so stupid? Kim said defensively. We remained in silence for the next few minutes. We were thinking about what had just happened, trying to make sense of it, but before I could speak, our classmates and PE teacher started filing into the room, and we all took our seats. That was the day our trust issues began. Kim and Paula continued to claim that they saw me and Alicia acting strangely when we weren't there. And over time, the things that they began to accuse us of got progressively worse. They started accusing us of flirting with their crushes, stealing their things, spreading rumors. Alicia and I knew none of it was true, and we tried to convince our best friends that they were mistaken, but it was no use. Eventually, Kim and Paula stopped speaking to us. I'm a bit older now. Alicia and I are still good friends. It was actually the other day that she brought up these incidents to me. Remember how we had that falling out in fifth grade with Kim and Paula? She asked. Oh yeah, I forgot about that, I replied. I was thinking about them recently, Alicia continued because I saw them in the news. Oh my God, are they okay? What happened? They were arrested. Oh my God, what did they do? I don't know how much of it is true, but I read that they held a party, invited all their friends, and tried to burn the house down with everyone inside. I sat in silent shock. I couldn't believe that Kim and Paula could do such a thing. I had so many questions racing through my mind. Were the people in the house okay? Did anyone die? I know this might sound, I don't know, disrespectful or something, Alicia continued. But I'm actually really glad we weren't their friends anymore, you know? Like like we dodged a bullet. I nodded. I don't think that's wrong to think. And then another thought popped in my head. What if... What if all that stuff that happened in fifth grade was meant to protect us from this moment? Like, what if it was like us from the future trying to ruin our friendship with them? Alicia and I stared at each other, and then burst out laughing. It was a ridiculous thought, for sure, but a thought that I have never stopped thinking about since. I mean, that's absolutely impossible, right? Ooh, I love me a good time travel doppelganger story. Thank you so much, Pat, for sending that in. Um, It definitely does sound like you dodged a bullet there. And I'm glad that you and Alicia were not at that fire party. Our next story comes from Kat, who had a very tense relationship with a teacher in high school. It was my first day of senior year. i just transferred to a new private high school where I knew nobody. But that didn't faze me. I was a very easygoing, friendly girl. Some would say a people pleaser. I already made a few new friends in homeroom, and we were sharing class schedules to see if we had any together. Oh, you have Miss Fisher for history, a girl named Lily said. She's so sweet. You're going to love her. History was my last period. In room 205, I had heard such great things about the teacher and was excited for the class. But when I walked in, Miss Fisher's eyes were already on me, her gaze unflinching. It caught me off guard a bit. Why was she staring at me like that? I looked away and took a seat. The next 50 minutes didn't get any better. Throughout class, I could feel Miss Fisher's continuous gaze on me. The next day at homeroom, Lily asked me what I thought of Miss Fisher. Not really one to disagree, I smiled meekly. Yeah, she's really sweet. You were right. As the semester went on, I continued to make new friends and charm my teachers, except for Miss Fisher, who still made me so uncomfortable so I decided that maybe if I did well in class, it would make her like me. An important test was coming up, so I studied extra hard. I even secretly studied during my other classes to make sure I was ready by the end of the day. But just as I was heading toward room 205, a wave of nausea overcame me like I'd never felt before. I ran to a nearby trash can and threw up. Ray, the security guard, saw me and told me I needed to head home immediately. He escorted me to the office to wait for my parents to pick me up. I was throwing up in a trash can up until my parents arrived. Strangely enough, though, I never vomited on the ride home or for the rest of the night. It was the weirdest thing. The very next day, I woke up feeling completely normal as if nothing had even happened the day before. So I headed to school. At lunchtime, I ran into Miss Fisher. Catherine, were you aware that you missed a very important test yesterday? I am. I got really sick, I told her. Is there any way that I can make it up? Miss Fisher smiled, but it wasn't comforting. And you think that would be fair for your fellow classmates? I'm really sorry I was sick. You know what's interesting, Catherine, is that you were marked present in all of your classes yesterday, except for last period. I got sick right before the test. Miss Fisher smiled again, condescendingly. How about this, Catherine? Because I like you, I'll let you make up the test during class today. Oh, thank you, Miss Fisher. Thank you so much. I was relieved, but also a little confused. Miss Fisher actually liked me? She had a weird way of showing it. It was almost time for my last class, and I was ready to nail this test. But when I got to the room and opened the door, it was completely empty. The lights were off, and Miss Fisher was nowhere to be found. I double-checked the number. It was room 205. I double-checked my watch. It was definitely class time. Was Miss Fisher messing with me? Was I losing my mind? I walked down the hall to the next room. That room was also empty, and the next, and the next. Where did everyone go? I was on the verge of tears at this point. I didn't know what to do. So I headed back to 205, just to make sure it really was empty. But just as I got to the room, the bell rang. Students began pouring out of every classroom. I looked at my watch. School was over. After the flood of students left the room, I went inside to find Miss Fisher. She did not look happy. Catherine, I'm very disappointed. I gave you an opportunity, and you did not take it seriously. I'm sorry, Ms. Fisher, I have no idea what's going on. I know this is going to sound impossible, but I got to class on time, and no one was here, and then no one was anywhere. The school was just empty. Please, you have to give me another chance. It's my understanding that you're here on an academic scholarship, Catherine, and if you don't maintain a certain GPA, you will no longer be allowed to attend this establishment. No, Ms. Fisher, you can't do this to me, Please. And then Miss Fisher sped towards me and came right up to my face. I know who your family is, you little shit. Your ancestors killed my ancestors. And if you think I'm going to let a little bitch with witch hunter blood into my classroom, you are very sorely mistaken. So you really only have one choice, Catherine. I had no idea what she was talking about. Ancestors? Witch hunter blood? This was the first I had heard of any of this— But I didn't want to stay there any longer, I ran out of the room with Miss Fisher's laugh echoing behind me. My parents were understandably not happy about me having to transfer schools again, but when I explained the weird things Miss Fisher said to me, they looked at each other intensely, and they sat me down, and that was the day I learned about my family history. Ooh, I also love me a good witch story. Thank you, Kat or Catherine. I don't know how to call you. And I'm just glad that you are no longer in that school. And now we've come to our final story entitled The One Who Remains. This was written by Gavin Godbolt. That's a pretty kick-ass name, who has a few books published and available on Amazon. So if you like this, check out their other work. My name is Lucy Drexel. I was raised by my foster parents. Growing up, I didn't know much about my biological family, only that my mom and dad had died in a car accident when I was only a baby. My foster parents meant the world to me. I have a gift for words, poetry, and writing. My parents would always show up for any literary contests that I was involved in. I guess I got it from the biological side of my family. As far as I was concerned, my foster parents were the only parents that mattered to me. So I never questioned them about my biological mom and dad. Although I remember once when I turned 15, they sat me down and asked if I was sure that I didn't want to know anything about them. I remember them having looks of concern on their faces, but I told them I didn't care to know about them. I didn't ask and they didn't tell. I wish now that I had. When I got accepted into college upstate, I was so excited. My parents drove me up to check out the campus and almost immediately I made a friend. Her name was Heather. She was majoring in the same thing as I was. After our freshman year, with the help of my parents and the summer job I took, me and Heather were able to rent out a place and live off campus. It was a beautiful two-story home that was apparently a sorority house a while back. When I asked why it wasn't anymore, the realtor kind of danced around the question. When we were given the keys to the house, on our way over to see it in person, I called my parents and told them the good news. They shared my enjoyment until I began to describe the house. They went quiet. They tried to cover it up by attempting to still sound chipper. That's good, honey. We're, um, we're so happy for you, my mom said. But I could tell the change in their voices. When we got to the house, a strange feeling of familiarity came over me. It was like I knew I had been there before, even though I'd never seen this house in my life. Me and Heather got settled in and started putting our things up. I couldn't shake that feeling that I was having in this house. No matter where I went, aside from Heather... I felt like someone or something was always there with me, but the one place in the house where I felt the weirdest was in the living room. Later on that evening, I was watching TV in the living room and decided to make myself some coffee in the kitchen. I could have sworn I heard faint crying coming from the living room. It wasn't Heather. She was asleep and the crying sounded like it was coming from a kid. I walked into the living room, but there wasn't anyone there. The TV had been turned off. Heather must have come down to turn it off because it was too loud, but I would have heard her come downstairs. And I didn't think that me having the TV on was enough to make her cry like a little kid. It was weird. Later on that night, I was awoken by someone mumbling downstairs in the living room. When I sat up in my bed, I saw six kids standing there. They were all holding hands, looking at me. I blinked, and they were gone. I followed them mumbling downstairs. It was Heather. She was sitting on the sofa in the living room, rocking back and forth, mumbling something over and over. As I got closer to her, I understood what she was saying. All of us here except the one who remains. The rest, including me, shall have their blood spilled and stained. Two, four, six, eight bodies all sit, skin to skin and stitch to stitch. She rambled over and over. Her eyes were wide and her face was ashen. When I tried to snap her out of it, she leapt up from the sofa and ran herself into the wall. (laughs) She did it again and again, chanting the same thing over and over. Her face became bloodier and bloodier. I heard her nose break. Then she fell to the floor and passed out. After that night, Heather was committed to a mental institute. I asked Heather's parents if she had a history of mental illness. When they told me no, I knew it was the house. I fell asleep later that evening with all the lights on. I woke up in the middle of the night to find the six kids standing in front of my bed again. This time, there was a woman with them. They were all just staring at me with a blank expression on their faces. They were all holding hands like they didn't want to let each other go. They all walked out of the room together, still holding hands. And that's when I heard it. All of the same rhyme that Heather was repeating remember. over and over was now being spoken by a man's voice coming from the living room. I went downstairs, and they were all there. The woman, the six kids, and a man was sitting on the sofa. They were all chanting. All of us here except the one who remains. The rest, including me, shall have blood spilled and sustained. Two, four, six, eight bodies all sit Skin to skin and a stitch to stitch, stitch. They all suddenly turned to me. They started saying it louder now, over and over. Then eight ear-shattering gunshots exploded throughout the living room. I ran out of that house, got in my car, and drove away without looking back. The next day, I called my parents and told them that I was going to take a break from school. When they asked why, I explained to them what had happened with Heather and everything else. It's time that you knew, darling. We will explain everything when you make it home. I reluctantly stopped back by the house to pick up a few things before I would hit the road. As I was leaving, another car pulled up. A man dressed in a suit got out. He asked me who I was, and I told him. He said that I was just the person he was looking for. He was a lawyer coming to deliver the last will and testament of my Aunt Belle Drexel. Apparently, I had been left some money from my late aunt, and I also inherited a house. Where's the house? I asked him. Right here, he said, pointing at the house I was renting. According to my records, you're now the last of the Drexel bloodline. He gave me the key to the safe box where I could collect my money and left. When I made it back home later that night, my parents told me what really happened to my biological family. Of the seven children my biological mom and dad had, I was the baby. They told me my biological father was a writer and poet like me, and a pretty good one. He had a bestseller that allowed him to buy that house. Unfortunately for me, mental illness did run on my biological father's side of the family. When his book sales declined, my parents said that my bio dad slipped into a deep depression that he never came out of. They told me that one night in that very house, my biological father killed all six of my brothers and sisters, my biological mom, and then himself. He set them all down on the sofa in the living room and stitched their hands together. He shot each and every last one of them in the head with a hunting rifle. Then he sat on the sofa with them and shot himself. At the time, Aunt Belle, my biological mom's sister, was living with us. On the night of the murders, Aunt Belle escaped with me before my father could get to me. I was only a baby, and he was going to kill me. I'm alive because of her. I showed them the huge folder that I picked up from the safe box at the bank. In the folder were articles and newspaper clippings of my family's murder, crime scene photos, and a tape recorder. When I played the tape recorder, my blood went cold to the sound of the playback. It was the voice of my biological father calling 911. I'll never forget the last words he said to the dispatcher. All of us are here except the one who remains. The rest, including me, Shall have their blood spilled and stained. Two, four, six, eight bodies all sit, skin to skin, and stitch to stitch. Today's stories were edited by Adam Sinker and Sapphire Sandalo. Music and editing for this podcast by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscarysnarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, sweet
2: dreams.